0: The Blaze Radio Network.
1: On demand.
0: Prepare yourself to ingest current events, pop culture, and politics with a side of Latin flair. Vices.
2: I don't have
3: to show you any stinking vices.
0: This is the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
3: All right, hi there, ho there. Glad you have tuned in, everybody, here at the Chris Salcedo Show. We have a Friday going on and plenty of goings-on over in Hamburg, Germany. With the President of the United States sitting down with Vlad the Anti-Democrat Impaler Putin. <laughs> that was, a, I didn't even work on that at all. I know it's going to be hard to believe, but I didn't work on it. That. that that was a spur of the moment. A descriptor of the Communist who is in charge of Russia? We'll get into that coming up on the Chris Salcedo show after I tell you how to get a hold of us. Telephone numbers triple eight nine hundred-thirty-three ninety-three-eight eight eight-nine zero zero three three nine three. We'll get to the flip around because that's exactly what the major topic of conversation is right now. This conversation between Vlad and our president, Donald Trump. SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. On-demand listening for this program and all Blaze Radio programming, as a matter of fact. Catching the show live is easy to do. The Blaze.com slash radio. Blaze Radio smartphone app or the iHeartRadio app. On social media, go to Facebook. Type in The Chris Salcedo Show and you will find us. Pinned there at the top is our very favorite meme uh, showing the bashing and the fall of the CNN brand. Oh, and there is news. On the CNN ratings and why they're able to continue, even though their ratings are in the toilet. And this goes for MSNBS as well, but a reminder as to why they're able to continue and why The Blaze, why so many, I suspect, leftists on cable networks, on these cable networks around the country are not allowing us to be on. Uh, go to TheBlaze.com and click on the channel section, you'll find our presence there. TheBlaze.com. Look for The Chris Salcedo Show, and you will find a daily offering or two for you to digest. All right, let's get to the flip around right off the top, and uh, it looks like... uh Fox News is over in Hamburg, Germany.
2: The Secretary of State said there's a lot of meetings that will be planned, set up uh, at a staff level to go over a lot of the issues that the two leaders were talking about. One thing that I found very interesting, though, when you when you look at the first bilateral meetings of President Trump with a number of uh, of foreign leaders, whether it be President Xi, uh, President Al-Sisi or Prime Minister Theresa May, There was always an invitation there to come visit our country, come to Britain, come to Egypt, come to China. Uh, There was no such invitation extended by Vladimir Putin to President Trump, nor a reciprocal offer to President Putin to come visit the United States. So uh, they're not quite that far down the road of the
3: relationship just yet. (laughs) Well, they seemed, according to Rex Tillerson, which we will, we have some sound bites. After the break, we'll get into Rex Tillerson said that the two leaders took took to each other right away. Um, There was, I was listening, I think I was listening to Limbaugh earlier today. He had some analyst, I think it was on MSNBS, who had made a comment that she noticed when Vladimir Putin met Donald Trump and they were shaking hands, Vladimir Putin was constantly looking down. Donald Trump was trying to make eye contact with him and he kept on looking away and looking down. He wouldn't make eye contact with Trump. Whereas uh, Vladimir Putin never showed any respect to President Obama because President Obama was a pushover and an anti-American freak. And, and Vladimir Putin knew that he could run over uh, uh, Obama because Obama wouldn't stand for anything, especially when it came to defending the United States. So uh, the, 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 the body language this person was observing was very much of respect of Vladimir Putin to Trump whereas Vladimir Putin would never show any inkling of respect for Barack Obama because many world leaders believe that Barack Obama wasn't worthy of respect. Hell, many Americans don't think that Barack Obama was worthy of any respect. Uh, let's get over to uh, MSNBS.
4: Happening along the Euphrates Valley. He had three cities that were hit last night. That's where most of the flying and the fighting is taking place. Now, there's a little bit of ISIS in southwest Syria, but for the most part, U.S. operations are focused elsewhere. And it doesn't seem, at least at first cut at this, it doesn't seem like this ceasefire is going to have any sort of effect on what the U.S. is doing against the fight
1: against ISIS. Uh,
3: There was a ceasefire brokered today at this summit. Now, look, I don't I, I, I just don't trust Vladimir Putin. Oh yes, Mr. President, I we, we, cease fire. No problem. Pfft. Trump probably walked out there and said, oh, the guy was lying." Uh, there, I, I don't, I don't trust Vladimir Putin any farther than I can throw him. So, if if there is a bit of a cease fire between pro uh, or anti Assad forces and the Assad regime, uh, okay, whatever. I I, d- I doubt it. But as MSNBS was articulating, it'll have no. Little if no uh, impact on the U.S. effort against ISIS, which, by the way, is kicked into full gear. Since we got rid of Obama, we detailed this yesterday, since we were rid of Obama, the fight against ISIS is going swimmingly well. And uh, as a matter of fact, Russia is very interested in, in removing ISIS as well, so they're not going to stand in America's way. Let's get over to uh, the leader of the basket of bias, the anti-Trump, anti-conservative, anti-Republican bias over at CNN. ...differences to turn the page
5: on the past and to create a collaborative, soft alliance against Islamic terrorism. The first Western leader to do this was Tony Blair back in 2001. And what all of these leaders, including... Obama, including George W. Bush, have found is that at the end of the day, the United States and Russia's strategic interests are too contradictory because of Russia's alliances, partnerships, and
3: strategic claims on the territory around it that it calls its near abroad. Well, well, let let me translate all that. The Western world comes into conflict. With Russia because Russia props up thugs. Russia props up radicalized Islamic fundamentalist terrorists like Iran and Syria. And Russia has designs on its former republics when it was the Soviet Union. All these people that it forced to be in their collection of states by, well by force as I said. One of these mechanisms that vladimir putin was using was the threat of energy vladimir putin wanted these former soviet republics to rely exclusively on russia for their energy so if they ever got squirrely or ever decided they wanted to work in their own best interest instead of vladimir putin's and russia's best interest then vladimir putin could just turn off the energy and donald trump went a long way in undermining that yesterday when donald trump said hey We got plenty of liquefied natural gas over in the U.S. We're ready to export it. As a matter of fact, we can ship it across the Atlantic cheaper than Vladimir Putin is forcing you to buy it right now from his pipelines. We can do it better, cheaper, and you won't have to worry about Vladimir Putin uh, holding your personal... Are are holding his agenda over your head and preventing your country from operating in your country's best interest. So Donald Trump said, it's, it's, and it's a win win for us. We'll talk more about this. Our buddy Chris Versace is going to be in a little bit later on. Talk about economic uh, matters, but this is this is key. If if American energy and boy, there are there are a lot of former Soviet states: Poland, Czech Republic, the 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 Baltic states, the. The Onias, I always call them like Estonia and those, all of these former Soviet republics. Imagine if America was selling energy to all of them, and then, and then, and then, I mean, and you know, you know, who's getting in the way of all this? Angela Merkel. Apparently, Angela Merkel and Vladimir. Well, this is because of we've had such a we had such a weak occupier of the Oval Office in Barack Obama last eight years. Uh, Angela Merkel didn't respect Obama. She liked Obama because Obama was such a weakling. And because Obama kept America weak. And Angela Merkel liked that. So she forged alliances with Putin. And energy contracts and all that kind of stuff. So if, if all of a sudden these former republics of the Soviet Union start getting energy from us, all of a sudden uh, folks in Eastern Europe are getting their energy needs met by the U S all of a sudden Western Europe's going to go, well, why are we taking Russian energy again? Why are we doing that? We got our, our buddies over here in the United States who are not going to hold us hostage. There's a, we, we already do a little of, of energy trading as it is, but we could increase our market share. And I, I, I really think this is, this is Trump's, well, this is Trump's Trump card. And, uh, whereas Russia has been suffering mightily under low low low, low oil prices because they've they predicated all of their aggression on fifty dollar fifty dollar a barrel oil uh, the United States, if we start taking market share from them, it's going to further undermine their their economy, which is already in trouble as it is because it's a it's basically they have no diversification in their economy it's all energy based and communists who run that government uh, like Vladimir Putin, have no imagination. They're just natural aggressors, but they're not innovators. They're not uh, creative people. Now, I'm not saying this about the Russian people. I'm just saying about the the communists who run the government. So uh, th- there are plenty of entrepreneurs in Russia, but they're being, once again, stifled by... Well, by the likes of Putin. All right, coming up on the Salcedo Show, we'll let uh, let you guys hear what the meeting was like between Vladimir and President Donald Trump. Rex Tillerson will be providing the narrative. Coming up on the Salcedo Show here on the Blaze.
4: Keep up with the Chris Salcedo Show on Facebook and on Twitter
3: at Chris Salcedo TX.
4: Just another way to stay in touch with Chris on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: network.
2: President Trump and President Putin uh, met this afternoon for two hours and 15 minutes uh, here on the sidelines of the G20. Uh, The two leaders exchanged views on the the current nature of the U.S.-Russia relationship and the future of the U.S.-Russia relationship. Uh, They discussed important progress that was made in Syria, and I think all of you have seen. Uh, some of the news that just broke regarding uh, an es- a de-escalation agreement, the memorandum, which was agreed between the United States, Russia, and Jordan for an important area in southwest Syria that affects uh, Jordan's security, but also is a very complicated uh, part of the uh, of the Syrian battlefield.
3: Secretary of State Rex Tillerson describing the... Well, the, the the big news coming out of this meeting with uh, Donald Trump and and Vladimir Putin. Uh, again, this was uh, part of a, 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 a that, that was a was a trilateral agreement right there. U.S., Russia, Jordan, some de-escalation in there, which I guess is fine. Uh, again, I I don't trust the Russians. I never have trusted trusted the Russians, but. We'll see if they hold up to their end of the bargain. And, well, there was there was more that came out of this, so let's just take this point by point as the Secretary of State rolled it out. Uh,
2: this de-escalation area was agreed. Uh, it's well-defined agreements on who will secure this area. A ceasefire has been entered into, uh, and I think this is our first indication of the U.S. and Russia being able to work together in Syria. And as a result of that, we had a very uh, lengthy discussion regarding other areas in Syria that we can continue to work together on to deescalate uh, the areas and the violence once we defeat ISIS.
3: You know, what I hope this isn't is a George W. Bush moment where, uh, Putin says, Oh yeah, I looked into Vladimir Putin's eyes and could see his soul and all that kind of BS. Uh, I hope, let, let me just say that Rex Tillerson was speaking the language of diplomacy, which I recognize. But I hope that they were clear eyed on precisely who they're dealing with. I I, <laughs> I don't want the United States to be lulled into a false sense of security. Uh, this guy Putin will stab us in the back. He has proven he will.
2: Uh, and to work together towards a political process that will secure the future of the Syrian people. Um, as a result, at the request of the uh, of, uh, President Putin, the United States has appointed, and you've seen, I think, the announcement of a special representative for Ukraine, Ambassador Kurt Volker. Ambassador Volker will draw on his decades of experience. Uh, in the U.S. diplomatic corps, both at the, uh, as a representative to NATO and also uh, his time as, um, as a permanent uh, political uh, appointment. The two leaders also acknowledge the challenges of cyber threats and interference in the democratic processes of the United States and other countries agreed to explore creating a framework around which the two countries can work together to better understand how to deal with these cyber threats.
3: Right. Uh, discussing a cyber threat and how to beat cyber threats with Vladimir Putin is like discussing with a hacker uh, how to protect your bank account. Um, and and then giving that banker your your account information. It's I, under, I, I understand Rex Tillerson's the Secretary of State and he's got to speak like this, but I'm, I'm just praying to God that, that Trump sees right through the niceties of diplomacy and recognizes who he's, he's dealing with a viper in Vladimir Putin.
2: Both in terms of how these tools are used to interfere with the internal affairs of countries, but also how these tools are used to threaten uh, infrastructure, how these tools are used from a terrorism standpoint as well. The President opened the meeting uh, with President Putin by raising the concerns of the American people regarding Russian interference in the 2016 election. Uh, They had a very robust and lengthy exchange on the subject. Uh, the president pressed President Putin on more than one occasion regarding Russian involvement. Uh, president Putin denied such involvement uh, as I think he has in the past. Uh, the two leaders agreed, though, that this is a substantial uh, hindrance.
3: <laughs> hindrance for who? Uh, that, that was the moment that most of the basket of bias press was waiting for. And you saw the build-up. Well, if Trump doesn't do this, he's illegitimate. And blah, 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 blah. Trump betrays the country. If he doesn't press Putin on this. You know, I, I said this in an earlier version of the Salcedo show. I said, you know, well, and I'll even tell you what was surrounding this. Morning Joe took a swipe at our buddy uh, Sean Hannity. Again. Morning Joe was on his... Uh, his uh, Little program today with his soon-to-be wife Mika, and started calling out late-night conservative talk show hosts, ultra—what do you call them? Ultra white, right-wing talk show hosts over on another channel. He was calling out Sean and uh, saying, oh, "Yeah, these 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 conservatives are uh, aligning themselves with Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin have the same values as Vladimir Putin." He kept on saying, "Putin and." And these right-wing talk show hosts, and I'd I'd had just about enough of that. Now look, I d- make make no mistake that Sean Hannity can defend himself just fine, and I have no there are no no, no two ways about that. This I, I wasn't defending Sean Hannity, nor do I feel I have to. But I'd had enough of this crap, so I said. Uh, Look, Morning Joe, (laughs) we real conservatives have been sounding the alarm. I'm doing this all on Twitter, right? We've been sounding the alarm about the reality of Putin since your occupier of the Oval Office, President Obama, was kissing his ass. Where were you, Morning Joe, when Barack Obama was giving away the store, giving away land of our allies to the Russians when they invaded? Where were you, Morning Joe? when Obama abandoned our allies. Where were you Morning Joe? So, anyway, I've got more from Tillerson, but you guys can catch up, that, uh, uh, catch up on that tweet. Like I said, I didn't do that because I, Sean is perfectly capable of defending himself, but I'm tired of our side getting defined by the likes of, of Joe Scarborough, who wouldn't know a conservative idea if it bit him in the butt. The only thing that bites him in the butt these days, I guess, is Mika Brzezinski.
1: (laughs) I'll be right back.
0: The Chris Salcedo Show will be right back.
1: The Blaze Radio Network.
3: So you just heard Tillerson say that President Trump pushed Vladimir Putin, pressed Vladimir Putin on his meddling and that Putin denied it, as any good KGB agent would. Interfere in your elections? What are you talking about, Mr. President? I have no... <laughs> how, many years, how many years have these Russians slash Soviets lied to us? That's that's part of the game as far as the Soviets are concerned. And I can say safely the Soviets because that's that's the era in which Vladimir Putin comes from. He's still a Soviet. The rest of their country may have, have tried to come out of the Dark Ages, but he's still back there. So uh, this idea of lying to your face, they're very well practiced at it. And I'm just hoping that Our president, Donald Trump, knows a good BS artist when he sees one. And Vladimir Putin is one. So Tillerson was pressed by a reporter. So let me get this straight.
2: Mr. Secretary, can you say if the president was unequivocal in his view that Russia did interfere in the election? Did he offer to produce any evidence or to convince Mr. Putin? Uh, the The Russians have asked for proof and evidence Uh, i'll leave that to the intelligence community to address
3: yeah and i know why they want proof because they want us to reveal sources and methods to which i would say to them look i'm not going to give you i'm not going to give you the proof that we have uh, because i don't want to divulge what how we found out about how we found out but we know you're doing it and you know you're doing it so let's just drop all the bs Say what you got to do out in public. I, you know, I don't care. But just know that we're on to you. And Barack Obama isn't in office anymore. So if I catch you doing it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something to ya. you. You want to screw with the U.S.? Guess what? You're going to get screwed with. Now, that's what I would hope and pray my president would say to the likes of Vladimir Putin. I know that a convers- We never had a prayer of a conversation like that happening when President Obama was in office. So, uh, this this uh, Tillerson description continued.
2: Uh, the answer to that question, uh, and again, I think the, I think the president at this point he pressed him, and then you know felt like at this point let's let's talk about how do we go forward, and I think that was the right place to spend our time, rather than spending a lot of time having a disagreement that everybody knows we have a disagreement.
3: I I, I don't know that the disagreement is over whether they hacked, not hacked, see, they got me doing it, tried to meddle in our elections. I don't think there's any disagreement on that at all. What's their disagreement? Of course they did. I don't think there's a disagreement that Russia is an enemy of the United States. Is is there a disagreement here? Now, look, I, I have to say this again, that Rex Tillerson is behaving as a diplomat. He does. He gets paid not to be fiery and honest like me. (laughs) Okay, he gets paid not to be frank and honest. He has to. To tiptoe around, walk on eggshells, leave room for diplomacy, leave off ramps and all this BS for the Russians. Fine. Do what you got to do. But. For our discussion purposes today folks, no one understand that the Russians are enemies to the citizens of the United States of America. The Russian government is an enemy to the citizens of the United States of America. Just no one understand that. That's all you really need to know. And that uh they did indeed try to in- interfere in our elections as they've been doing since the Soviet era. Big surprise. Big surprise. Uh, let's see Uh, Tillerson talks of the meeting between Trump and Putin. Now this is a, a a more lengthy soundbite, but I wanted, I wanted to give you some time, give some time for it to breathe because it, it did show a bit of a rapport between the two men. Whereas, uh, Vladimir Putin likely regarded Obama as some know nothing, some mealy mouthed, limp wristed, weak Noodle, he actually found himself engaging with Donald Trump because strong men, and hey, whether you like him or not, Vladimir Putin is a strong guy. He's he believes he's operating in the best interest of his country. That happens to be in not my country's best interest, and that's why I oppose him. But I mean, you got to give him credit; at least he's standing up for his country. Uh, Barack Obama couldn't say that, right? Barack Obama couldn't say that now when when I say he's standing up for his country, yes, he'll throw dissenters in jail. yes, he's he he uh, as is suppressing voices against him, but how is that any different than what Barack Obama did with the IRS? I'm asking
2: uh, there was a, a very clear positive chemistry between the two. I think again. And and I think the positive thing I observed, and and I've had many, many meetings uh, with President Putin before, um, is there was not a lot of relitigating of the past. I think both of the leaders feel like there's a lot of things in the past that both of us are unhappy about. We're unhappy, they're unhappy. I think the, the perspective of both of them was this is a really important relationship, two largest nuclear powers in the world. It's a really important relationship. How do we start making this work? Now, look,
3: relationship. I, I don't like the use of the term. You say it's an important relationship when it's between friends. The relationship between the United States and Great Britain is important. The relationship between the United States and Israel, that's important. When it's against enemies, the relationship... I don't think it's the, it's the, it's the word you should use. How about an understanding? We didn't have a relationship with the Soviets. We had an understanding with them and that's, that's fine. They know where we we stand. We know where they stand and that's fine. And the communication lines are open, but it's not a relationship because a relationship indicates give and take and Russia doesn't give anything. Russia, you know, now under the last administration, we gave away the store. We all know about this. But I do not like the use of the term relationship when talking about Russia and U.S. relations. Uh, understanding, sure. I get it.
2: How do we live with one another? How do we work with one another? We we simply have to find a way to go forward. And I-
3: No, I get that, too. Look, look, there was a relationship between Kennedy and Khrushchev. There was a relationship between... Uh, uh, Gorbachev and and Reagan the two men can have a relationship and understanding or a, uh, let me say, let me say relationship between Reagan and Gorbachev and understanding between Kennedy and and Khrushchev it is important that each leaders of the respective countries have an understanding of where the other stands i i think that's important clear defined boundaries you shall not go beyond this point. If you do, you are inviting trouble. I, I think that's fair. And it is important to have that. But a relationship, I think Reagan and Gorbachev had an understanding to begin with that developed into a relationship. But I, we are nowhere near a relationship because Vladimir Putin is working against the interest of the United States and our citizens. Period. End of sentence.
2: I think that was that was expressed over and over, multiple times, I think, by both uh, presidents, this strong desire. It is a very complicated relationship today because there are so many issues on the table. But I think, um, and one of the reasons it took a long time, I think, is because once they met and, and got acquainted with one another fairly quickly, there was so much to talk about. All these issues, uh, just about everything got touched on to one degree or another. And I think there was just such a level of engagement and exchange, neither one of them wanted to stop.
3: And I'm okay with that. I'm o- look, talking out these issues, they needed to be talked out. I mean, you can imagine how these meetings went with Obama in the room. Uh, let me be clear, Vladimir, what can I do uh, to appease you? Oh, yeah, stop stop those missiles going into Poland? You betcha. Stop those missiles going into the Czech Republic? Okay, how else can I kiss your ass, Vladimir Putin? Tell me, tell me. Just so I don't have to do anything. I want to go back and fundamentally transform America. Uh, wh- what else can I do? Let me be clear. What else can I do for you? How else can I help you hurt America? Let me be clear. That's probably, and Putin's probably looking at this, looking at Obama and going, dude, really? Really? You're, you're, you're selling out your people? Really? So I imagine that's how those meetings went. So when you've got Donald Trump, in a, you know it's, it's, it's a couple of alpha dogs getting thrown in and each one wants to test the other one to measure up the other man. Barack Obama was, was, is an easy man to measure up. He's not really a man. Uh, Barack Obama isn't isn't typical of what you and I would consider to be a man. He doesn't take responsibility for his own actions. He blames other people for what he does. He's. Well, he's a beta. He's a beta. Metrosexual beta, whatever you want to call him. But he's not a man in the true sense of the word. Hey, I screwed up or I'm operating in the best interest of my family, my my country, or my state, my city, my country. That's just not, that's not the kind of strong man that Obama is. Meaning, not strong man, but a strong man. A man of good character. Barack Obama a an anti-American sellout. A very weak man. Every country around the globe ran over him because he wasn't interested in defending America. His heart wasn't in it. We all knew this.
2: Uh, several times I, I had to remind the president people were sticking their heads in the door, and I think they even they sent in the first lady at one point to see if she could get us out of there, and uh, that didn't work either. But yes, it's true. But, uh, but it was... Uh, Well, we went another hour after she came in to see us. So
3: So apparently they had a lot to talk about. A couple of individuals who felt challenged by the other. Which, uh, again, and I hate to keep contrasting this, but when uh, Obama met with Putin, it was it was all too easy for Putin to get his way because Obama didn't stand for anything. I'll be back in a minute.
2: storms are coming it's
3: not,
0: it's not just a show it's a force of nature hashtag salcedo storm the chris salcedo show salcedo. on the blaze radio network
1: The Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
3: All right, coming up, we'll uh, detail some great jobs numbers. Uh, Something you got to know, folks, is that uh, Donald Trump, it was expected that the economy that he is helping to build right now would uh, set up a certain amount of jobs for June. Those expectations were beaten again by these payrolls. We'll talk about it with uh, our buddy Christopher Sanchez. Meantime, uh, Tillerson was asked about, he was in the room, with Putin and with the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, and gave this readout on, um, on how the conversation between the two men went. And we've been detailing it most of this hour. Rex Tillerson also talked about the, the agreements the two leaders and the discussions the two leaders had about Syria. Here's how that went.
2: On Syria, uh, with a great amount of detail exchanged on the agreement we had concluded today that was announced but also where we go and trying to get much greater clarity around how we see this playing out and how russia sees it playing out and where do we share a common view and where do we have a difference and do we have the same objectives in mind and i would tell you that by and large our objectives are exactly the same how we get there we each have a view, but there's a lot more commonality to that than there are differences. So we want to build on the commonality, and we spend a lot of time talking about next steps.
3: Yeah, look, well, one of the sticking points is the United States' belief that the al Assad is not going to be a recognized leader. I mean, seriously, how can you have a dude in charge of a country who gases his own people? I mean, the United States is never going to go for it. Never going to go for it. Uh, I, I think where Tillerson is talking about broad agreement is, look, uh, the Russians don't like terrorists, radicalized Islamic fundamentalist terrorists even more, any more than we do, at least as far as terrorists they don't control or own. They own Iran. Iran is a client state of the Russians, so, and they're very friendly. Those radicalized Islamic fundamentalist terrorists they like, especially when Russia support uh, is able to funnel through Iran and then into the hands of you know, Hamas and other terrorist groups to kill Americans. Oh, you know, Vladimir Putin's OK with that. Uh,
2: and then where there's differences, we have more work to get together and understand. Maybe they've got the right approach and we've got the wrong approach. Uh, so there was a substantial amount of time spent on Syria uh, just because it's we've had so so much activity going on with it.
3: Really, Rex, they, they have a better idea on how to solve that problem than we do? Really? Uh, come on. I... I could never be a diplomat. I could never be a diplomat. It just not in me. All right, we have a lot to cover in the next hour. We've got Mary Ramirez coming in. I'll wait till you hear what we're going to talk about. <laughs> uh, that's coming up. Chris Versace will be in to talk about some economic issues. And what have the Republicans been up to as far as Obamacare is concerned? Mitch McConnell's out there going, I don't think we're going to get a deal. We're going to have to work with Democrats.
1: The Chris Salcedo Show, part of Generation Blaze, only on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: Prepare yourself to ingest current events, pop culture, and politics. ...with a side of Latin flair. Vaches? I don't
2: have
3: to show you any stinking vices.
0: This is The Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
3: Coming up, Hour 2 of The Chris Salcedo Show. Mary Ramirez will be here. In the meantime, let, let me get you caught up on what's happening with your money. Chris Versace, he is the Chief Information Officer for Tomatica Group and assistant professor at New Jersey City University. He's also a columnist for Business Insider, Forbes, and TheStreet.com, the host of Cocktail Investing Podcast, and the author of Cocktail Investing, distilling everyday noise into clear investment signals for better returns. Mr. Versace, welcome back to The Salcedo Show.
4: Thank you, Chris. I have to say, even after that long list of uh, things that I do, I, I feel tired.
3: <laughs> well, buck up, camper. We have a lot to talk about because today, let's let's start off with the most recent economic news, beating mm-hmm. Wall Street expectations and the so-called experts. Uh, the job numbers came in today two uh, two hundred twenty two thousand jobs added in June, which beat the one hundred seventy nine thousand expectation. Your thoughts, sir?
1: I
4: mean, look, you know, if we dissect the numbers, and you, you know that I do, it, it was a good report, right? Uh, you know, we saw a number of different jobs picking up um, in terms of the number of jobs. Uh, we also saw some upper revisions in the past couple of months. Always a good sign. But, and this is the shoe to drop, Chris, if we were to look at it, earnings, meaning average uh, hourly earnings, are not picking up the way the Fed thought they would. Uh, thereby taking some of the bite or more of the bite out of their inflation argument. And it says to me that the Fed is more likely than not going to stand on the sidelines uh, for the next couple of months until we get into the back half of the year. Remember, they've promised three rate hikes. They're off two in the first half of the year. I think they're going to bide their time until doing the next one.
3: Yeah, and and that could uh, be a dire signal to those up on Capitol Hill to get busy on tax reform because there seems to be a lot of folks – uh, waiting on the sideline, not doing much hiring, not raising salaries and, and income because they're waiting to see if this government can get its act together and deliver on tax reform. Am I right?
4: Well, you know, it's funny you say that. The The Fed put another report out today, kind of one under the uh, under the radar, called the Fed Monetary Policy Report. And when you break it down, they they said some interesting things, right, which is in the first half of the year, the pace of the economic reform has moderated you know that's the case uh, inflation has fallen off compared to a year ago we know that is the case um, but they also talked about an increase in business investment and that was more in the first quarter but you're correct as the economy has started to slow a little bit and some uncertainty not only about tax reform health care reform and the timing of infrastructure i think businesses are sitting back and they're saying Elections coming up. I want to see how things turn before I commit going into the back half of the year.
3: Chris Versace, my guest right now, folks, he is the host of the Cocktail Investing podcast. Uh, Chris, uh, the president's over the G20 summit. Uh, Donald Trump making some news as he made an, ex- an invite, if you will, to those former Soviet republics uh, trying to break the monopoly and the, the stranglehold that Vladimir Putin has on them by saying, hey, uh, America is going to be a net exporter of energy uh, uh because of all of our natural gas uh liquefied natural gas and and other energy resources depend on us and and let's let's compete we can compete with russian energy and uh, a, a lot of folks over here in the united states who watch these kinds of things kind of applauded in particular in the state in which i broadcast uh, uh, an energy uh, titan the state of texas
4: yeah. I mean, look, it's what Trump is trying to do to his, uh you know, campaign promises make America great again. And that means unleashing American business and entrepreneurialism to go out and do what we do best. And he's just trying to, you know, let people know that we are going to do that. And when you look at the uh, rising rig count that is there, uh, it is obvious that we have more supply and more supply coming on stream, which, you know, Silver lining, good thing. We're starting to see gas prices fall at the pump as well. But there's no reason that through the developments of technology as well as consolidation in the energy space that's helped reduce the break-even point for these businesses that we cannot be far more efficient and net exporters. And remember, too, Chris, for the economy and consumer spending, these jobs in the oil patch are well-paying jobs. This is not like working at Starbucks or working at The Gap or some other retail. These are very, very good-paying jobs.
3: Yeah, well, you know what, I, I'm not sure if you're aware, if I've talked to you about this in the past, but there, there was a large discovery in West Texas, which many are saying it could be the second largest proven, not only oil, but natural gas, clean-burning natural gas discovery uh, in the world. And that, it, that once that starts getting tapped, and once all of a sudden we start sending liquefied natural gas over to all of these former Soviet republics, the market is just going to boom they they get out from vladimir Putin's communist dictator thumb. We start exporting energy and creating well paying as you mentioned jobs here in the united states it's a it's a twofer it's a win win
4: absolutely but it it's the whole thing, Chris is making sure that we have the right mindset in Washington that is going to put. You know the economy first, and allow business to do what it does. You know, arguably through some trickle down economics, but we need to have that mindset and agenda in place in D.C. And I think I think we're getting that compared to where we've been the last eight years.
3: You know, with all of the, the revelations of, and the stuff that it, that has come out over the weekend, and individuals assigning blame or assigning a motivation to Putin, uh, of Putin that, that Putin wanted Trump. I think we ex- didn't we explore this couple of weeks before vacation, you know, we talked about how Obama has been anti-business and has driven the U.S. consumer market into the toilet and how uh, time was America could drive and pull the world economy up. Can't do it anymore because Obama has weakened us economically. And that those who suffer the most are these oil based economies like Russia. That when you don't have a when there's no demand, you there's no demand for your product. That When there's no demand for energy and production, uh, the demand for oil goes down. You've got record low prices. Uh, this, this is due also in part to Saudi Arabia trying to bankrupt uh, a lot of domestic American producers. So it was all the perfect storm and the Russia can't finance any of its debt, can't finance all of its expansion uh, because well, there's no demand for its product. And it's an oil-based economy. So it's in the toilet. So if Trump gets the American economic engine going again and there's demand for products, then there's, guess what? There's going to be demand for oil. And what does that do to the cost of oil? Drives it up. And the Russians profit. I mean, there could, there could have been a business motivation behind not wanting another anti-business Democrat in the Oval Office, an anti-prosperity Democrat. There could have been some motivations there. Or Vladimir Putin could have just hated Hillary Clinton's guts, which is you know entirely plausible. A lot of people do that. But as we have been consistent on the Chris Salcedo show, and I know that there's this constant refrain from from liberals. Oh, you must be a Russia lover. Screw you. I've been saying for the last eight years, screaming at the top of our lungs that Vladimir Putin is an enemy of the United States, still saying it. He's not to be trusted. And I'd like to welcome all you liberal Democrats to the party. Congratulations. Only took you guys eight years. You know, some people aren't necessarily stupid. They're just slow. Like Meryl Streep. We'll get into... <laughs> yeah, we'll get into Meryl Streep too. You know what? And be, Well, there's, there's something funny here. I'm not going to play her sound by something because I didn't want to. But CBS has its sphincter and, and the Golden Globe sphincter is so tight. There's so many restrictions that we can't... I, I didn't want to leave holes in the Chris Salcedo Show podcast because we'd have to remove that stuff. So, I am going to read the transcript of Meryl Streep in my best Meryl Streep impersonation. <laughs> That's coming up on the Chris Salcedo Oh, just wait for it! I'm sure it's going to be compliment. You know, I, I studied the dramatic arts in college. I did. I studied the dramatic arts. I... As a matter of fact, could be, I, I may be the only thespian talk show host. Uh, you would think that would give me instant credibility with the folks out in Hollywood. However, <laughs> after they hear my Meryl Streep impersonation, probably not. Uh, <laughs> telephone number, if you want to reach out and say hi, feel free to do so. 888 900 Eight 888 900 3393 At the top of the Chris Salcedo Show Facebook page, you will find a post that is dated. And I did this on purpose because as I mentioned here at the top that um, Donald Trump's cabinet picks are up before a very hostile Democrat party uh, in the United States Senate. And I thought since all of these liberal Democrats will be going back, you know. To when, you know Rex Tillerson and all these others, and uh, Jeff Sessions. Jeff Sessions were in the kindergarten. You know, you drew an unflattering picture of a girl, and that means that you're a sexist, and you you hate women. War on women. War on women. Because Jeff Sessions, when he was in kindergarten, drew an unflattering picture of a girl named Sally. I mean, it 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 could it is going to get that ridiculous. So, in honor of what I anticipate will be coming from. Uh, feckless and irresponsible Democrats. I reminded the Chris Salcedo show and anybody on Facebook, anybody who wants to look, of the past of Chuck Schumer, the new minority leader of the Democrats in the Senate. Schumer telling a flight attendant when she told him to turn off his cell phone that she was a bee. Another name for a female dog. And uh, uh, hey, you know, since Schumer is going to go back years, decades on these nominees to dig up dirt and to drag their names through the mud, I thought we'd remind Democrats that we can do the same thing. And hell, you know what, Chucky? I don't have to go back decades for you. I just got to go back to 2009 to find you calling a woman that told you to comply with safety regulations on on an airplane when you called her a bee be itch this um this works many ways chucky schumer tread lightly back in a minute the chris salcedo show you're on the blaze
0: this is the chris salcedo show
1: only on the blaze radio network
0: is the Chris Salcedo Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Due to technical
4: difficulties, we are rejoining with the Chris Salcedo Show, already in progress. Consolidation in the energy space that's helped reduce the break-even point for these businesses that we cannot be far more efficient and net exporters. And remember too, Chris, for the economy and consumer spending, these jobs in the oil patch are well-paying jobs. This is not like working at Starbucks or working at The Gap or some other retail, these are very, very good-paying jobs.
3: Yeah, well, you know what? I, I'm not sure if you're aware, if I've talked to you about this in the past, but there, there was a large discovery in West Texas, which many are saying it could be the second-largest proven, not only oil, but natural gas, clean-burning natural gas discovery uh, in the world. And that, it, that once that starts getting tapped and once all of a sudden we start sending liquefied natural gas over to all of these former Soviet republics, the market is just going to boom. They, they get out from Vladimir Putin's communist dictator thumb. We start exporting energy and creating well-paying, as you mentioned, jobs here in the United States. It's a, it's a twofer. It's a win-win.
4: Absolutely. But it, it's... The whole thing, Chris, is making sure that we have the right mindset in Washington that is going to put, you know, the economy first and allow business to do what it does, you know, arguably through some trickle down economics. But we need to have that mindset and agenda in place in D.C. And I think I think we're getting that compared to where we've been in the last eight years.
3: Now, the G20 summit, which is supposed to be an economic summit, uh, there's a, expected to be pressure put on Donald Trump to to sign on to this Paris climate accord to state, keep the United mm-hmm. States signed on to where the United States sacrifices everything. Everybody else in the agreement sacrifices nothing so that it's, it's a big redistribution of wealth scheme. And Angela Merkel of Germany seems to be the one that is really behind and making sure that, and trying to put political pressure on the United States to damage its own economy. What say you? Do you think the president should remain stalwart about this? And, and do, you th- do you think he'll cave or do you think he'll stay strong?
4: I, I don't think he's going to cave. I actually think he's using it more as an overall negotiating tactic, because remember, they're over there talking about a number of, dish- of different issues, Chris, including who pays their fair share when it comes to global defense. So, I, I, you know, Trump, Trump being the dealmaker, I, I think he's going to he's looking at all his chess pieces on the board, trying to figure out how can I which ones can I move to get where I need to be and where I want to be, that's what I think is going to happen.
3: Chris Versace, everybody, he's the chief information officer for Tomatica Group and the assistant professor at the New Jersey City University. Sir, I appreciate the time and expertise as always here on the Salcedo Show.
4: Always happy to do it, my friend. Have a great weekend.
3: All right, folks. Uh, you guys may have uh, heard the hiccup in our in our digital feed, and we have some weather moving through the uh, area in Texas in which we're broadcasting, and it just uh, it's part of the technical problems every once in a while that you experience with broadcasts. So thanks for putting up with that. I wanted to get the entire interview in there with Mr. Christopher Sace. So if you want to weigh in on what we've been talking about so far today, 888 933 888 900 3393 Mary Ramirez will be coming up here shortly. At Fox Business Network's Dagan McDowell was talking about A plan put forth by Senator Ted Cruz to rescue the Republican Party because they've done no work. We have been um, very critical of the so-called leadership in the Republican Party who sat back for the last seven years and complained and bitched and moaned that uh, that uh, Obamacare was in place and that they they vowed they vowed they were going to repeal it. And as soon as they got the opportunity, they didn't have any any work done. No consensus repeal effort. And that was because guys like Mitch McConnell and guys like John Boehner, again, uh, just played politics. We thought they were serious. But uh, Mitch McConnell didn't think we were going to win the White House. So uh, why would we do uh, any work if we're not going to get the White House? It's like, man, I've always said you should have been out. You could even if it was President Hillary, God forbid, you could have put out a replacement that would have been far and above What was going on with Obamacare? Anyway, uh, Fox Business's Dagan McDowell articulates the Cruz plan.
5: Cruz's plan would give insurance companies the freedom to sell cheaper policies with fewer benefits to healthier people as long as they still offered the more complex plans for sick people that would meet the regulatory requirements of Obamacare or... Senate leader Mitch McConnell has asked the Congressional Budget Office to analyze the plan, which is a sign that lawmakers are strongly considering it. The CBO expects to have its analysis done by next week when Congress returns from their July 4th recess.
3: So you've got McConnell out there. Uh, some people say it's a threat. I, 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 didn't we say this when he, when he first floated this idea that he was just trying to to coerce his Republican caucus to work together and come to an agreement. So here comes Ted Cruz trying to bail out the Republicans again. And the sticking point is you got a whole bunch of these, these leftist Republicans who are all about big, big government, all about big government programs wasting your taxpayer dollars. And they, and they like the idea of taxing and spending like the Democrats do. They just think they can administer it better. So Fox Business Network's Dagan McDowell, after discussing, who was she talking with, Reason Magazine's Peter Sutterman, this is, this is the conclusion she came to.
5: I look at, at, at particularly a lot of these centrist Republicans on this issue, and there aren't uh, donkeys and elephants, there aren't Democrats and Republicans, they're all just a bunch of hogs <laughs> eaten at the trough in terms of they, they want government spending. You listen to these GOP governors who accepted the Medicaid expansion um, under the Obamacare and they are crying foul over the, the push to roll back the, the vast amounts of money these states get from this expansion. I, I don't know how I don't know how you get all these sides to come together on this and this is excluding the Democrats.
3: Exactly. how do you reason with a Republican, Who wants to get his hands on taxpayers' money every bit as much as a Democrat does? I mean, I don't know where you go. Maybe somebody should have done some work on this, oh, I don't know, five, six years ago. How about that, Mitch? Huh? 888-900-3393.
1: The Chris Salcedo Show.
3: On the Blaze Radio Network.
0: conservative, Chris Salcedo on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Due to technical difficulties,
4: we are rejoining with the Chris Salcedo show already in progress.
2: You know how to play winning
3: hard-nosed football? You play football like Enjadero played football. A guy who gave his life for this football team. He was a 140-pound halfback, and he played like a goddamn wild man. No, like a damn rampaging beast. And that's the way you're gonna do it. You go out there, you tear that heads off, and you're down the next. Let us pray. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Happy Friday to the Chris Salcedo Show. Uh, uh, sometimes, out of tragedy, when we take a like, like we take a weather hit, uh, uh, bits can be born. Bits of funniness can be born, and now forever we will have Ellie uh, on on tape. Saying, you know, uh, we we rejoin the Chris Salcedo Show already in progress. Due to technical difficulties, we are rejoining with the Chris Salcedo Show already in progress. I could just say this live. No. (laughs) Salty Salcedo, (laughs) the liberty-loving Latino. Very good. Uh, Glad you made it, everybody, here for a Friday at the Chris Salcedo Show. Joining us now, another contributor to the Chris Salcedo Show who joins us every week, Mary Ramirez, longtime contributor here to the program. Mary, welcome back to the program.
1: Hi, Chris.
3: How are you? I'm I'm doing well now. None of that stuff you could hear because you're on a different line.
1: But sadly, no. What you're gonna have
3: to do is you're, you're gonna have to see where you, you're gonna to listen on the replay, and you will see where you fit in all of this. And I trust me, you will laugh. All right, I oh promise. Boy. Okay.
1: You you <laughs> got to promise? I'll do oh it. Oh
3: boy. Okay. <laughs> hey. So, uh, what are you writing about this week?
1: Well, Chris, I was watching, reading something, rather, that that you had posted a few days back in response to this horrific assassination of Officer Familia in New York City this last week, Um, and you posted the following Facebook caption. You said, after eight years of an anti-cop administration, this is the result. NYPD officer assassinated in the Bronx is latest in string of New York cop killings. And there was a discussion that ensued, so of course I dug in. And, you know, the conversation that followed was, was pretty interesting. And, and one of our, our liberal friends um, pointed out that police deaths averaged just 62 per year, as opposed to something in the seventies for the Bush administration. And first and foremost, before I get into the meat of the article, I want to, I want to correct that um, the average number of deaths per year under Barack Obama was actually 151 a year. Um, that's 2009 to, uh, to 2016. Our friend here used studies counting only certain types of deaths. So for example, if you look at only deaths by gun, by gunshot wound, then you get that sixty-two average or that number. But when you look at everything, the numbers are immensely higher. And you and I both know that that <laughs> to be attacked, a cop doesn't necessarily have to be shot by a gun. It can be stabbings, it can be drownings, it can be vehicular assault, it exactly. can be strangling. Yeah, dead is dead.
3: Assaults, dead uh, is dead Assault dead is dead no matter how you got that way. <laughs> now folks right. who she's talking about is liberal Fred, who longtime listeners of the Chris Salcedo show will know who liberal Fred is. Now we had to give him his due. He is a gold star dad. His, his family paid the ultimate price, but he's a liberal, and he's often wrong, and he often justifies insane positions from the American left, and he tried to show up on the Chris Salcedo Show Facebook page and try to make the absurd claim that, that, that police officers were safer under Barack Obama, and it is just that. It's an absurd claim.
1: Right. I mean, if you look at the two numbers, because I did go back and I, I did the math. I did the math for the Clinton years, the Bush years, the Obama years, and it averages, you know, right along the same line. And I'll get into sort of the, the, the numbers behind that. You know, Bush, you had the Bush numbers up slightly because of 9-11. You had uh, quite a few officers die on that same day in the towers and at the Pentagon and around, you know, that area. But um when you look, like I said, when you look at everything, uh, you know, the the numbers are all types of deaths and numbers are are immensely higher. Um, But what I really wanted to focus on in this discussion is exactly what you brought up with your post. And that is the types of deaths, how they're dying. Deaths like the one we saw in New York where this officer is sitting in a patrol car, Mm -hmm. sitting there doing nothing and is shot point blank simply for being a cop, just sitting at a cop car. Those deaths. Those are up 300% from years past. That's the number that we need to to focus on because you and I both know that that the unfortunate fact of life is that police officers are going to die on the job. It is is a fact of life of dealing with the the swill of society, the evil in the world. You're going to get killed (laughs) in many instances. That's a given. The ambush-style attacks that we're seeing in New York that we saw with those other two officers sitting in a car in New York, that we saw in Baton Rouge, that we saw in Dallas. I think that anniversary was, wasn't that yesterday? So, you know, that sort of thing, those are up 300%. And that's what we need to focus on. And that's where you're spot on, Chris, with your point about the rhetoric. You know, because when you look at, you know, what it is that's going on in society, one author, I think it was over at Red State, pointed out, we haven't had anything in the last eight years, societally speaking, that would contribute to this astronomical 300% increase, except rhetoric from leadership. Well, and I kept having this. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No,
3: I, I wanted to just add a little more flavor to this because there has go been. Part. You would have no way being in Minnesota of knowing this is going on. Today, we are marking that terrible anniversary right. uh, from the Dallas police officers who were gunned down by uh, a, a patron of hate, uh, some guy who just wanted to go out and kill whites and kill, kill cops. Uh, This was one year ago today. Five police officers paid with their lives. There is a, there is a Barack Obama type leader inside of the, the, the county of Dallas. His name is John Wiley Price, who actually jumped uh, on a county commissioner's court uh, hearing. They were, they were voting on a resolution to honor the fallen police officers. He said, why should we do that? they're not any more special than anybody else's life why should we honor these police officers so uh, this is actually going on so this this type of barack obama extremist liberal attitude these people are reprobates these people are uh gum on the bottom of your shoe wastes of skin that are in our society and and they look at the 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 thin blue line and look at these individuals who lay their lives on the line for us every single day and say that they're they're not they're nothing special at all and and to to the point to where this guy was saying everybody's life is 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 equal really you mean the guy who gunned down people the racist who gunned down five police officers out of hate's sake his life was equal to that of the cops maybe in the eyes of god but certainly not in the eyes of common sense individuals
1: Well, no. I mean, when you're talking about human life, of course human life has value. And and you and I would both agree that any death is tragic when you're talking about a human being. But if you're going to compare the character, if you're going to compare characters of people like that guy and these cops, forget about it. This is ridiculous. These are people, and I made the point in, in my piece, these people, these police officers across the country, the thousands and thousands that we have, They sign up every day for crappy hours and crappy pay and crappy insane stress every single day to defend a community of strangers, many of whom they don't even know. I mean, I I illustrated in the piece at the very beginning, I talked about laying down your life for a friend. You know, how many of us would do that? Lay down a life for a friend, maybe a family member or somebody we really love, but maybe not even for a friend. For someone that you don't know, these guys do that, guys and gals, do that every single day and, you know... Why shouldn't we honor that? Why shouldn't we praise people who do good things, by and large, on a daily basis? This and, is insanity.
3: And much less, guard these, these these five police officers were guarding a movement, the Black Lives Matter movement that day precisely. in Dallas. The BLM movement who has called for the death of police officers, who has called for the death of white people, their leadership. And uh, uh, I cannot think of... Uh, uh, somebody more deserving of society's respect than somebody who will not only defend a perfect stranger, not only defend their community, but defend those who actually yeah. say and identify with individuals who want to kill them. I mean, right. seriously. I mean, and this is why the, the John Wiley prices, the Barack Obamas of the world really frustrate me.
1: Well, and these kind of people, Chris, I made this illustration in, in the piece. These are the kind of people whose rhetoric is changing the mentality of this nation and has for the last eight years, as you pointed out. There's a line from a great movie, Chris. It's called Remember the Titans. I'm sure you've seen it. And the guy, he, one of the guys says to the, the team captain, he said, attitude reflects leadership. And that's exactly what we're seeing here. You go through the Barack Obama presidency and you look at how he talked about police officers, how, how his administration talked about them, how they treated the, the cases like Ferguson or, or, you know, others where they jumped the gun and made judgments before before his own Department of Justice even had a chance to investigate it, which, of course, we both know came out again in favor of the cop because there was nothing done wrong. Um, but, but that sort of rhetoric has a lasting effect. And again, we can argue all day long about exactly how many point whatever whatever police officers die on average every year, year to year, president to president. But the thing that we're talking about today what, and what you pointed out is that the attacks People seeking out police officers with the express purpose of killing them because they are police officers, that is going up, and there's a correlation to that. There's nothing else that contributes to it, nothing else that, that that's happened in society other than a leader that made it his modus operandi to, to treat these people as enemies of the state, and that was Barack Obama.
3: What is the name of the piece, and where can we find it? <clears throat>
1: It is End of Watch, Dying on the Thin Blue Line, and I'll tweet that out right after this segment. It's up on my blog.
3: Mary Ramirez taking her inspiration this week, and I'm glad we can inspire from a Chris Salcedo Show (laughs) Facebook. See, if you don't get on Facebook, folks, you might be missing an awful lot. As a matter of fact, Mary, I am going to direct you to go to the Facebook page because my number one all-time favorite meme of the beating up of the CNN brand is posted right there at the very top. So I did see that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, lady. I appreciate it. Have a great weekend. Best to you and the fam.
1: Happy Friday as always. Thanks,
3: Chris. All right, folks. 888 933 888 900 3393 Back in two shakes on The Blaze.
1: Conservative Talk Radio. With spice.
0: The Chris Salcedo Show. Only
1: on The Blaze Radio Network.
0: Show conservative
1: talk radio
0: with
3: spice. You know, I think the big story of the week has to be. You know, this may be the week that that we can note or mark the failure of CNN. Let me give you. And here's why I'm saying this. The ratings have come in. And the folks over at the Federalist have written this piece called The Ratings Collapse. So the, the ratings came in, uh, Ellie, now look. They, you know that Fox is likely going to be on top of most of the cable news networks, of cable news programming. Oh, yeah. Uh, and they are. They are number one. These, uh, this is time period, Monday through Sunday, 8 to 11, prime time. Okay? The bread and butter of cable news channel broadcasting. The, the ratings are in. I, I guess there's no delicate way to put this. CNN was beaten by Nick at night. <laughs> what? CNN was beaten by Nick at Night. Nick at Night is 11th out of the top 20. CNN is 13th.
1: But Nick at Night is the best, though.
3: Nick at Night is good. But what was on during this th- this time, 8 to 11? One of the programs that beat out the fake news network <laughs> was reruns of Yogi Bear... <laughs> What? Hey Boo Boo, watch us! Watch us steal the ratings, picking a basket! Yay! <laughs> hey Boo Boo, we're kicking CNN's butt. <laughs> Yogi, the Ranger, will be upset. Who cares, Boo Boo? They suck over at CNN. <laughs> and they do. They really do. Um, so. That, I I think this is a perfect capper to a week where CNN lost its mind and lost its credibility. Let let me add some dramatic effect to this. CNN, folks, lost the ratings battle against Nick at night and reruns of Yogi Bear. (laughs)
5: Da,
3: da, da. Duh. Winning. So... uh. There you have it. Uh, they, they have become a punchline. A, a network dominated by their hate of the President of the United States. To where, to where they won't even... They're not, they can't even draw... Now look, here's why CNN is going to get paid. And this is something you all have to understand. And no, that all of the cable uh, companies across the country, they, the big ones, contract with the likes of CNN and MSNBS and Fox, and CNN could conceivably, and they're, and they're headed in that direction right now, could conceivably have zero watchers, and they will still get paid And they will still make money to pay their anchors. You know why? Because the cable companies buy that programming to quote unquote better their cable lineup. Now, they can't keep it up forever, but if CNN stays in this slump, they're still going to make a lot of money. So you might be asking yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute. So CNN can get crap ratings and still get tons of money from the cable companies because they have these contracts. Why, why can't the Blaze get on AT&T or Time Warner or whatever the hell they're calling themselves these days? Spectrum? Why, why can't that happen? Could there be a political left-wing bias at these cable companies that keep the Blaze programming from coming on? It's beginning to look a lot like that, ladies and gentlemen. How else can you justify keeping cnn getting beaten by yogi bear reruns on and not having the blaze remember everybody society's worth isn't measured by how much power is seized by its government but rather how much power is reserved for we the people have a grand weekend everybody see you back here on monday three o'clock eastern
0: you're listening to the chris salcedo show
1: part of generation blaze on the blaze radio network